Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, DICE's podcast where we dig into the topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm here today with Paul Farnsworth, Chief Technology Officer of DHI Group, the parent company of DICE. In the episode that follows, we're going to discuss his path to the CTO position and the lessons he's learned that can help you as you're navigating your own tech career. As you'll see, those technology professionals interested in a management track, whether that's CTO, project leader, product manager, or something else entirely, need to develop both their technical and their soft skills and focus on finding opportunities that match both their skill set and their outlook. So, with no further ado, here's Paul. Welcome. Thank you. Um, so I wanted, I mean, obviously you are the CTO of DICE. Yep. And the thing that I'm interested in is that, I mean, when we talk about talk about and two technologists, we often talk about how some people have, I guess what you would call a conventional pathway where, you know, they get their four-year degree, they get some certifications, they work their way up through the ranks. And then you have people who sort of have an unconventional pathway through where, you know, maybe they design their own app and then they use that and they get absorbed in some larger company or they stay on their own and create, just continue creating cool apps. What was your journey to becoming a CTO? Like, would you describe it as like a typical one or was it more kind of a atypical journey for want of a better term? Yes. So I don't know if there's a, I get the four degree thing and the staying in a career in a large company and moving up. Um, that was not my journey at all. So, um, you know, I, I started, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, in high school, I was a terrible high school student. Um, but I, well, the one thing I did do is I knew I loved technology and I knew I loved computers. So those two things were something I did, but, um, when I started my career, it wasn't even clear if that was a going to be a profession to be perfectly honest yeah. i mean i've been super lucky i started in a time when we were basically inventing the industry is more or less the way to think about that yeah. so i left um high school um having perfor- underperformed <laughs> in my high school career um took a year off like you do in europe um to to go figure out what i wanted to do was a plumber for a bit oh, um which was exciting yeah. um and then joined a company um, in the mail room, um, it was a telemarketing company, and my job was to um, bring um, pallets of books to the fulfilling people. Mm. And you would call up a, a 800 number from an advert and say, mm-hmm. "I'm interested mm-hmm. in a new model car." We take your details, print a label off, yeah. stick the label, put, stuff the envelope, and ship it out. Yeah. And over time, I spent more time with the. Um, with the technology organization than I did in the mailroom. Mm-hmm. And eventually I said to the, my mailroom supervisor, I'm going to take a job in the IT department. Yeah. And she told me, if you leave, um, you're not coming back. Okay. So I took the risk and um, I was incredibly lucky. This is kind of my learning part of my career, which was, um, you know, we were a fast growing company it was based around computers and computing industry was being born in that period really. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we would install desktop computers. Um, we did the first networking in a, mm-hmm. for, for business. We figured out what email meant before there was really email. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, you know, in fact, I remember you had to request for an email address. It wasn't something you were given naturally. It was something that we allocated sparingly across the organization. Yeah. Um, 
but that grounding and the, and kind of the birth of that industry meant that there was nothing for me to learn in college because mm. there was more learning to be done on the job than there was you yeah. know in college so um so i did that um and it was great because i rose quickly because it was a growing company and no one else knew what to do mm. and we did everything i mean i was the uh, i was one of the team members who stayed the entire night while we migrated discs between yeah. discs and you know we i used to patch the network and we'd i'd hack programs together because printer drivers didn't mm -hmm. work and everything we did everything it was great um but what i realized um in that period was and this is a period where um the the most common networking uh, solution was netware, novel mm -hmm. netware for mm -hmm. businesses. Yeah. Microsoft was starting to grow into that area and it became came clear Windows NT and that back office suite of solutions and honestly Office, Microsoft Office was yeah. going to be the dominant office uh, player. Um, you yeah, so, yeah, well, right, right, so right. I took it. So I took a leap of faith, um, quit my job, joined and with a colleague of mine and we created our own essentially Microsoft back office solution provider yeah. um, based in the middle of England. We get certified. So I did all the Windows NT certifications and mm -hmm. got certified, became a tr Windows trainer, which looking back is terrifying. I was yeah. teaching people how to use computers, but that's fine. Um, and then, um, you know, because we were a young and ambitious company and we made all sorts of terrible mistakes owning mm -hmm. that business, um, we realized that the real money in technology yeah wasn't in the middle of England, it was in London where the banks are. Mm -hmm. So we moved the business to London. Um, I, we, we became very fortunate to become associated with a large bank mm -hmm. and ultimately they ended up buying our business. Oh, wow. um, you know, and that's how I think I went from pure technology and being a technologian driven about just technology mm -hmm. Um, once our business was acquired by the bank, my perspective shift a little bit because then what we were actually doing was we were providing technology to help the business and yeah. not just for technology's sake. And that was a big, was a big transition right. in when no, I no, bought okay. it, yeah, yeah. the banking. Okay. So you've reached this point, you know, you're, you're, you know, kind of getting the sense, I guess that, you know, you come from this kind of hard tech background and now I guess with the acquisition and so on, you're realizing that there, there's a whole management world out there where these two things kind of intersect, you know, and so how do you get from that point, that sort of that first realization to sort of, I guess, beginning your ascent to eventually becoming a CTO with all the stops in between. Yes. And manager and so, on. so I'm a junior manager now, um, you know, and, and again, incredibly lucky because had I come into the bank, you know, just being hired, yeah. well, first of all, I don't think I'd have got an interview at the bank, to yeah. be perfectly honest. And yeah. secondly, I think because of the way that acquisition worked, I'd ended up in a more senior position than I was really honestly qualified to do. Okay. Um, what that meant, though, was it gave me a lot of scope to essentially spend time maturing my skill set. And mm -hmm. the skill set wasn't technology anymore. It was how do you apply technology um, to the problems the bank has to make the business better? Okay. Um, and, you know, I was also lucky at that point that I was hungry enough that I would literally turn down no opportunity. So when a colleague of mine um, decided that, they, you know, that they in fact, it was my boss at the time said, mm -hmm. we're going to start something in India, looked around the room and said, will you go to India for a couple of years? Oh. And I said, yes, why would I not do that? Course, I mean, this yeah. was the, the it was the birth of the Indian outsourcing um, sort of industry mm -hmm. sponsored by a bank and I could, you know, live effectively there. So, you know, 
I went to live in India, um, became the senior person inside that um, outsourcing company owned by the bank as we drove solutions back into the bank. And, you know, that's, I think, where you start to really hone your management skills. So, you know, you start to understand um, that decision making and authority come with the ability to do the management piece as well as the technology. That's kind of where that transition really starts to, to happen. Um, now, um, I've always worked for ambitious people and with that comes a lot of change. So, you know, I was in India when um, the CIO who had purchased the business I work for mm -hmm. um, essentially called up and said, I'm leaving the bank and moving to Denver yeah. to become CIO for a telco here. Um, I moved back to London and he called me up and said, I've got a job for you. Do you want to come here? Um, so I left the bank. And again, incredibly fortunate, really, that the opportunity was open to me um, and the fact that um, I was lucky um, it, because the um, um, the way American telco corporates work mm -hmm. and the way banks are compensated, there was a big gap. So it meant that for, for my boss to hire the right talent into that business meant that you had to get put into a pretty senior position inside a large company. So again, I found myself somewhat accelerated in terms of my my position in the company um and i learned a lot there too and i put this as as the you know at that point i'm maturing so i'm not a technology person what i am is i'm now a business person who's interacting with the business and becoming a mini cio is essentially yeah. what i am so if you if as you progress your career being that business relationship partner inside a large company is a, it's the training ground to become an executive that wants to, to run a, um, a technology organization. Um, again, lots of change inside Telco at the time. Um, so my boss um, ended up moving back to England, taking another position. And I actually followed a couple of executives out um, to Seattle to turn around a failed uh, VC-backed company. Oh. Um, that's exciting. It was exciting, but we didn't turn it around. No, oh, well, um, that also happens. I mean, that's just, yeah. It, it is. What that does give you, what get, that gave me, though, is you come from senior executive inside a larger company mm -hmm. to being effectively in charge of the technology organization for a small company. Mm -hmm. um, but the, but what, what that experience led to was an appreciation for where board members and investors interact with a business, okay. which when you're lower in your career, you don't see when you get more mature you start to understand what what those relationships mean and how they are um how they are important um and it was a it was a great time to essentially hone my my what i believe were my the strategies to make a successful yeah. um organization so or a successful technology organization yeah i imagine trying to turn around a, a failed vc backed startup or a mid-sized company i mean i imagine that i mean is it just fires every day everything is kind of purely reactive and you're just trying to get proactive in terms of management and tech and everything it, else it is so it's not it's not so much a fire it's not a fire job from the technology side yeah. what it is is it's a it's a str strategic bet that you have to make yeah. so um the the ceo who was one of the executives i followed from the telco you look at the business you try and diagnose what you think the problem is and yeah. then you apply what is becoming a dwindling resource particularly if you're not generating enough cash mm -hmm. to effectively turn the business around yeah. and in this case um 
you know, I think there was a, the presumption that the product was good enough mm -hmm. and that this was a sales issue. So we applied pressure and resource into the sales organization. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think looking back, the reality was that it wasn't a sales issue. It mm -hmm. was that the product itself had got underinvested in and wasn't going to be competitive. And it was that classic conundrum of, you know, you might have the best word processor, but if someone else is is accumulating tools and offering it as a suite, you can't ever compete with the suite. And we were being out, we were being out invested as a company mm -hmm. with a very narrow solution. And we were starting to be, our solution was starting to be bundled as a feature yeah. and we just, we couldn't compete. So we didn't, we didn't, it wasn't successful. <laughs> so I mean, as you're, excuse me, I mean, as you were, as anyone, I mean, you, any anyone who's kind of going up through these management tiers and whether it's at, you know, the, the company that you're trying to save or kind of a large, you know, teleco that's doing absolutely fine and making billions or whatever, is there still, I mean, obviously soft skills, communication, empathy, and so on, you need that. I mean, those are essential parts of management. Do you need, I, and I assume the answer to this is yes, but I just want to make <laughs> yes. absolutely sure I'm not checking the idiot box here. You need to still kind of have a grasp of like, an intimate grasp of the tech stack. You still need to, in terms of your technical skills, you still need to kind of keep them absolutely sharp. You need to know when people are explaining things to you, you need to know like absolutely is. You do, you do to a certain extent. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a aspirational tinkerer. So I read a lot of content about yeah. technology. You know, I, a lot of the basics are, there's a lot of foundational stuff which hasn't changed um, over the years in mm -hmm. terms of the way technology is really constructed. Um, you know, so I think there's the ability to, um, to have a sense of what you're being told is accurate and yeah. possible. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's that's honed by, you know, a, a lot of experience and having the experience of mm -hmm. doing it yourself to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, and we'll come on to this in a little bit, but I think there are different styles of leadership as the as an executive in charge of the mm -hmm. of a technology organization. And I think matching companies that have an appetite for technology oriented. CIOs and yeah. CTOs with your skill set is really important. Um, okay. It is really important. Yeah. So, right okay. so, I mean, we've, we've now kind of progressed to, to a more upper, upper echelon yep. for you. And yep. now you've, I assume that, I mean, like, you know, especially in terms of like saving the VC project and so on, or, or not saving it rather. I mean, like that was kind of more tactical. Now you're taking a kind of a more strategic oriented leap, I guess. Now it's time to start orienting yourself towards the CTO position. Yep. And how does that work? How does that progression, how do, how do you do that jump? So for me, again, you know, you asked at the very beginning, what's the traditional route? And that would be mm -hmm. continual growth inside one organization. Yeah. Um, you know, my, that stair step that I, that I took mm -hmm. has involved uh, being able to be kind of flexible about moving organizations. Mm -hmm. So from the v, from that VC company, which was a small company, it wasn't a large, I mean, this was a smallish team, but yeah. the problem on the, with the company was big. Um, I then followed um, the CIO who I worked with, who sent me to India, mm -hmm. to London um, for a bigger role in a, in a lot, very large telco. Yeah. Um, but what that meant was at that point there, um, I'm now a, a such a, effectively a, 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 a um, I'm a small CIO, so I own an area of the business. Mm -hmm. um, and I say small because the, the company I work for had about 26,000 people in its technology organization. Mm -hmm. And of that, my team was about 2,500. So oh, wow. it's a very large team. Yeah, yeah. But 
I'm still not actually really in charge, right? I mean, uh-huh. I've, I run my area, but the biggest strategic decisions are being made outside. What that gives you though, is that it gives you the ability then to find a business at some scale where you can then really lead because as frustrating as it is, um, you know, often there is uh, that people look at how large an organization have you managed as an indication of, are you capable of managing a large organization? Yeah. So you kind of need to find a path for that. Um, ultimately, I came back to the States, um, had a pretty senior position in, a, in another telco, mm-hmm. which gave me a lot of authority and we did a lot of M&A kind of activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that's the point in my career where I really realized I had a couple of parts. I could stay in that business and figure out how I was going to wait to essentially ascend yeah. to the CIO chair, um, or I would have to take a step out of that business, find a, a smaller organization, frankly, and become the CTO fully in there. And for my last few roles, I've, I've really fully been the CTO, um, yeah. you know, in that position, and that that has come with growth in each of those roles as you kind of go. Mm-hmm. So I look at the I look at the progression there as while the path may not have been completely traditional because I don't have a degree, I've been super lucky and been sent on lots of executive training courses and everything else that comes along with it. Yeah. Um, it's kind of that learning learning period, there's the maturing and then the last sort of I'd say 10 years has really been mastering and that is applying what you've learned and models that you are taking to organizations and then making that work so that's kind of the that's my journey from working in a mailroom to ultimately you know cto of a public company which is amazing and i mean how do you i mean in terms of tailoring your approach and so on and you just mentioned a moment ago actually about how you know you kind of come to this what i imagine must be a very emotional decision in a certain way to potentially kind of aim for a smaller organization like kind of ladder sideways in order to kind of ladder up again i mean how do you when when you're sort of examining your opportunities how do you realize subjectively that hey like my leadership style will fit this organization more than that organization like how do you make that decision like this will be a good fit for me with everything that i've done so far and all the progression that i've had managerially and technically yeah it's yeah. so it's so a little bit little bit of it is um so i i've been lucky i've i've been out um to a to a group in um, Boston uh, associated with MIT called Scissor, mm-hmm. um, and Scissor have some models and they did some research on um, ha- what what style and type of individual is going to be successful in what kind of business is the mm-hmm. kind of the way they look at it. So I'm going to answer this in two ways. I think there is um, there's some inherent maturity that comes that can't be faked necessarily from just being more experienced and senior, and that yeah. comes with um, experience as you as just as you deal with things right and you know you've been in meetings where you sit in a meeting and um, a person comes in and um, you know she or he just has a presence in the room which leads you to like they're kind of where the weight is right yeah. in the room yeah. Yeah. and that comes with I think some some experience and the second part is um, you know being a little bit more subjective about a role in a company mm-hmm. and identifying by asking good questions during the interview process um, you know what is it that this company really requires from the leadership in a technology organization and I did I wrote some notes down here just we'll, we'll cover these real briefly so yeah. you know 
every CTO has a bag of bag of tools that you learn your experience and you mm -hmm. can bring those to apply, but you can't bring the same, you can't do the same thing twice. You need to bring the right tools to the yeah. right issue, right? Yeah. Very common kind of management, um, management technique. I think if you assess a business and here's my, the essence of my learning over the last few years is, um, is it a tech company or is it a company that uses technology and there's a different flavor there, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Tech company is likely to want a CTO who still knows how to code. Mm -hmm. A company that uses technology is likely to want a tech, a, a tech leader who is more comfortable with gluing together a business case and understanding the value that technology brings in the light, in the view of like what a tech, mm -hmm. what a company, what the company is trying to achieve. Um, should also be clear about whether a technology organization um, the organization, sorry, looks at technology as a cost center or as a strategic differentiator. Mm. And that's a conversation that you can have. Um, if you're going into an organization and being interviewed for a CTO role and you're not being interviewed by the CEO, yeah. you're probably in a company that doesn't view technology strategically. And that's something that you should think about um, a little bit. And then the last, the, the couple last things are, um, if you look at the revenue per employee of a business, it will give you an indication of whether or not technology is going to be underfunded. And this is a people oriented in a, a company where there is a lack of scale uh, through capital investment. Um, and the last one is, you know, looking at the structure of the senior organization team. You know, if you're the CIO or CTO and you're reporting to the CFO, for example, mm. and the CFO reports to the global president of something, and then there's a CEO above, yeah. you're going to get a sense of kind of what that, you know, what that company's style is. Mm -hmm. And then I think you make an assessment about whether or not you're the right fit, given are you a technical CTO? Are you an operations CTO? Mm -hmm. Someone that can deal with the fire drills and stabilize infrastructure? Are you a um, marketing or an evangelist CTO? Are you expected to go to trade shows and talk about the technology and kind of be the figurehead, right, of, yeah. the, of the business? Are you a sales CTO? Are you being wheeled into sales calls to convince people the stability of the platform or whatever you happen to be selling? Mm -hmm. um, I think you, you have to have some objective view of that. And, you know, I, I think and we'll cover this again a little bit. Um, in all of this, um, having somebody that you've worked with that can give you a little bit of a balance around what your strengths are mm -hmm. and what the company is looking for will help you be successful in a role. It doesn't mean, however, that you can't bring in the right talent um, to help you. Yeah. I will be open and tell everybody, you know, I'm a relatively, let me rephrase that. I believe that I am, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good operator at the strategic level at a, at a, you know, with a, with a thousand foot view, whatever yeah. you want to say that. Um, what I'm not particularly um, excited about is some of the program project management components that come along mm -hmm. with delivery of technology. I recognize it's important and I will bring the right talent in to support me so that I can do a good job with their support. Um, so you can balance this a little bit, but I think finding the right culture, identifying what style of leadership the company needs mm -hmm. is, is critical if you're going to be successful. Are there shipping CTOs? I mean, you just said in terms of like kind of the project management where the CTO comes in because, you know, whether it's a startup or whether it's like a tech company that sees itself as fast moving and 
you're just there to kind of help oversee like you know project generation project release or is that something that's a level down on like the senior project manager principal project manager level um it depends i think it's it's a little bit around um it's it's dependent on the size of the company Mm -hmm. the the whatever the organization is looking for right um you know and i think because just like any profession um you know, you, you, you can be very good until you're not very good anymore. Um, you know, and a good example would be, um, you know, worked in organizations where, um, in fact, uh, the, the CIO I followed over to Denver a, a long time ago um, was a change. He drove change and innovation. Mm-hmm. And that was his MO. He, he constantly pushed, which was great for me because, you know, I'd end up experimenting in things that, we, you know, would seem crazy. Um, but he constantly ex- experimented when that business started to have a kind of a realignment around getting value and trying to get itself ready for sale. He was not the right individual for that role. So as a result of that, um, you know, there was a shift in what the business needed. Um, and you know, he just wasn't the right person. And, and, you know, that's a, it's an, it's a, it's an executive part of, part of being in the senior leadership team is being self-aware enough to recognize when your job is complete and you're ready to hand that off because it doesn't it doesn't excite you anymore so if you are that individual who um is excited about you know like hands on keyboard it's you're probably in a small organization that doesn't scale um meaningfully to a to a large large yeah. company it that really does that almost sounds like a founder versus you know like founders ct you know ceos who are founders you know are good at you know kind of ramping up and, and scaling and so on but then at a certain point they need sometimes they need to transition off and you know you brought mark zuckerberg up and that's a great example where um you know at some point he's deciding do i want to be the CEO and have to deal with the minutiae of executive management, mm-hmm. or am I going to, um, am I going to bring someone into the team that can handle the majority of that? My guess is that even I don't know Mark, but even if you you know if you sat down with Mark and said, "What does your week look like?" Yeah. I would guess that he spends relatively little actually yeah. coding. Um, you know, it's still being consumed with what you'd consider to be management type issues. So. Yeah. It almost seems like, I mean, because we were tracing out kind of your ascension through management and so on, while you still kind of have this technical, you know, kind of technical thumb on everything. Yep. And it reminds me a little bit of going to South by Southwest and you see these, you, you these, this ultra, ultra, I mean, their technical title is distinguished, but, you know, they're ultra distinguished. Google engineers will do these keynotes where whoever's speaking, like, essentially runs the entire search algorithm or whatever, and they could easily have become CEO or CTO or whatever and dev, but instead they decided to kind of become like this super master specialist where they might have a team reporting to them, but they're not overseeing the tech structure, you know, kind of overall or anything like that. Um, Did you ever have to make a decision where you decided, you know, I want to potentially become an individual contributor like that or a distinguished engineer and focus more on the tech side versus management? Because I imagine that's a conundrum that faces a lot of people who eventually become CTO where like you're yeah so um it's a great question and yes the answer is i i did i did have that and uh, you know the partner when we sold our business to the bank um my my partner um who um you know was one of the co-founders of that business you know he and i work so closely together Mm -hmm. um you know it would basically be one of us wasn't invited to things it was yan and paul that got invited it was like we just went together um 
it was a very technical role. We were adept at, you know, that right balance of just enough to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you, you, we were quick in terms of what we were delivering. Yeah. Um, but I recognized at, at some point that, you know, I could, uh, he, he, his desire to become that like distinguished engineer and become highly technical, which in a bank, to be fair, was extremely well compensated. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a this is a, an environment where, you know, you would sit next to traders on the trading floor and you would sit next to a quant who would be building complicated algorithms. And your job was to bring the algorithms and, and the trading strategies together and you make the yeah. bank a lot of money and it yeah. was well compensated. Um, you know, part of the decision for me to go to India, honestly, was be, to, to separate myself from that situation mm -hmm. because that was not a technical assignment. That was a managerial assignment. Mm -hmm. um, and I, what I was striving for there was, um, I think, you know, technology is a wonderful thing because you can be incredibly disciplined in, in one single thing and impact the industry, the very, very large impact. Yeah. Um, but to but to become a more senior leader in an organization, you've got to at some point separate your technical discipline mm -hmm. and, you know, essentially become very disciplined at becoming the executive, which is a entirely different skill set. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 you know that recognizing that that was in technology is important, but the the executive management piece and more importantly dealing with people mm -hmm. um you know that that's a choice i did make yeah. at some point the in terms of like being within the organization being the cto within the organization in terms of having the kind of the biggest impact and like just thinking strategically and so on and i imagine this also varies depending on the size of the organization whether it's a tech non-tech etc how far ahead are you sort of thinking i mean is it the sort of thing where i mean not only obviously you plan for the year but i mean are you thinking three years ahead five years ahead i mean how big of a picture do you have to kind of maintain yeah. I mean, think through stuff. So it's a good question. Um, I think a little bit of that is depending on the size of the company. I mm -hmm. mean, there's companies where they think like three months ahead. Um, yeah. You know, they're making it up on the fly and, mm -hmm. and seeing what happens. Um, you know, when I started my career, lots of businesses had a five-year plan. And yeah. you'd roll these five-year plans out and you'd try and uh, build strategies into that big master plan. I think that softened a little bit. Um you know, I think if you look at where our planning is, you know, in this in in the current role I'm in, mm -hmm. we we probably lay out plans that have um, a two to three year horizon for delivery. Um, but this is more on the technical strategy. The product work is 90 day rolling planning, mm -hmm. um, which has a multi year strategic plan yeah. but the real grunt of the planning is really a shorter cycle um and that's just born out of the experience of 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 large technology projects going astray if you commit to oh we're going to have this delivered in two years yeah. it never it never it's highly complicated to make that work and stick to yeah. it um yeah so it's like every other tech world there's a, there's a fair amount of flexibilities involved there is, and I think um, you know, the larger the company, the more ability they have to experiment with kind of what I'd consider to be more cutting edge type technology mm -hmm. and edge edge stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, m lots of businesses aren't don't have the resource and luxury for that. You know, they're going to be fast followers, mm -hmm. um, and that kind of planning. You know, it, it can take a couple of years to shift traditional infrastructure into the cloud, for example. Yeah. Um, 
And we're also very lucky now because whereas before, um, you know, if you wanted to, to adopt a new technology, you know, 20 years ago, you'd have to go buy the infrastructure, buy the software to train people. You, you had to run a lot of disciplines in there. Mm -hmm. Most of that abstraction into the cloud means that you have the benefit of continual improvement within those services, but not actually have to worry about managing any of it, which is a, which is a relief. So, I mean, like, let's say 10, 15 years ago or whatever, if you were a CTO or just an organization in general, let's say you were on Oracle, which meant that obviously you had all the on-premises hardware yep. and Oracle had its subscription contracts and everything else, and you were, like, firmly locked in or else, you know, they would come and take a literal pound of flesh from you right in your office yep. or whatever. Um, the movement to the cloud and all these organizations, like, either going kind of hybrid with some on-premises or just going entirely on the AWS or whatever, did that accelerate the job? I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, in terms of planning, in terms of implementation and things like that, I mean. It, 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 it shifted it a little. I mean, there's still businesses that aren't in the cloud. Um, yeah. You know, there's still, there's still work to be done there. Mm -hmm. um, most of the federal government. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, most of the federal government. I, you know, I think it's, depending on the, on the organization, it didn't necessarily accelerate it. I think what it did, what it did allow you to do, and I've, we've done this in, I've done this in multiple businesses I work for. You take what would have been cost on the operating side. Mm -hmm. You try and keep your technology, your overall technology spend flat or slightly increment, depending on the needs of the business, mm -hmm. but you shift the, 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 the ability to invest in new um, kind of differentiation mm -hmm. style projects, mm -hmm. you shift the money there. So you, you don't have to have a team of five DBAs anymore. You can have one DBA and you use the remaining four headcount to do, you know, software delivery. That's basically what I think has happened. So it shifted the job a little. Um, the other thing on the acceleration piece, which I think is, you know, I certainly learned the lesson um, in, in large organizations I've worked with is that um, <clears throat> there comes a point where the technology organization can drive change quicker mm -hmm. than the business can actually adopt. Mm -hmm. So while there's always been this drumbeat of, you know, faster and, and more just keeping these de deliveries going faster and faster yeah. at some point if you have a contact center with 10,000 people working in it mm -hmm. you can't train them for incremental 30-day releases it's just it, it it's it, it's you can't deliver that amount of change and scale mm -hmm. in that time frame so you get to a natural point where um you know, there's only so much change that you can absorb yeah. in a in a meaningful way. Yeah. Um, any more than that, you're just pushing stuff in. It's not actually getting used. So, but you're still. I mean, you're the you're at the the vanguard sort of of driving that change. Like, for example, let's say, you know, and this is happening to a lot of companies right now. Where and sometimes it's just a buzzword. They hear the buzzword, they want the buzzword. But some people have a deep understanding of it. But like machine learning and like modeling and all the rest of this stuff. So, I mean, the CTO is ultimately the person, right, who's going to be like, we need to make our we need to start modeling stuff out we need to start running this i mean you're the the, the buck stops with you essentially yep. right on things like that yeah and again this is back to um you know the context of the company um but machine learning you know ai all this sort of stuff yeah. it's it's disruptive innovation but there's going to be two there's kind of two use cases for disruptive innovation there is completely new model mm -hmm. which requires um you know, this is the this is the innovator's dilemma. It requires significant change for user adoption, and that is hard, yeah. right? Hard. Yeah. Um, or there's the softer version, which is 
it provides um, the ability to continue to automate and make parts of your business more efficient. Mm -hmm. And you have to decide which which of those are you going to apply this to, because there's this never-ending um, kind of drive by technology to, con to to drive efficiency into business. And most of MLAI um, ultimately, I think, will it'll it'll the real power is going to be in continuing to improve efficiency for business overall. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, if you're a if you're a healthy business, you take that efficiency and you apply it to other areas of the business that might need it, better customer service and all the rest of it. Yeah. You know, the more um, the more capitalistic view is that you then have the ability to reduce the workforce and make yourself more more efficient. Mm -hmm. And you know, this is the same in all technology for the last thirty years as we've been through this amazing cycle. Is if you're not willing to do it, um, you know. Someone else will. Yeah. Someone else will do it. There's something. To say, I mean, like for example, I remember a couple of years back, um, there was this 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 almost like a burp sort of where all of a sudden all these companies kind of got behind chatbots and they thought chatbots are going to be. And all of a sudden, you saw terrible chatbots that really couldn't do any sort of communication whatsoever. But you know, and then that sort of burp died. You know, yep. and then they started. And now, with kind of this increasing sophistication of ML models and so on. I mean, at least certainly I've been seeing in terms of analyst reports and so on, like a, 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 another rumbling around chatbots. So, I mean, there's just, it, there's also something where you could potentially jump into something too early, right? I mean, it's not, yeah, the, and, I mean, that's, yeah. and that's okay. And that happens all the time. So everyone gets excited. They yeah. apply a new technology because it looks cool or yeah. the salespeople have done a great job. Um, it doesn't really deliver the full transformation because it's rejected by the 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 sort of the the business itself or it doesn't deliver what you said yeah. um you know and we and we go around again and you know i for a long time you know i think as you as you progress in your career and you see the application of new technologies you realize it feels fast but actually it's a little bit slower than it really looks like so some of this kind of transition you know chatbots and um, you know, digital agents and all the rest of it, there's definitely advantages to having that infrastructure there. Mm -hmm. But if you're viewing it solely from the ability of taking costs and driving efficiency out, yeah. you end up missing some of it because, um, you know, the application of technology to solve users' needs or to make your business more efficient because it's better for the company and for the experience of your end users is, or consumers that's the that's the that's the sweet spot yeah and there's a ton of it i mean um the new one you know the, the one i would point at not just ai is um blockchain right blockchain mm -hmm. is this huge thing bitcoin's built on it yeah. lots of businesses are experimenting with blockchain because it it has a promise but the actual implications of the way that you in the the way that you actually um uh uh build a blockchain is is complicated mm -hmm. it's energy um it's not very en energy efficient it's complex to understand and mm -hmm. difficult to implement there's a whole bunch of stuff like this and i've seen you know i've been lucky i've seen waves of this in my career i mean i remember object-oriented databases were going to be you mm -hmm. know the biggest revolution against relational databases and guess what we're all still using relational databases mm -hmm. because you couldn't at some point afford to to um, to hire a Java programmer to do a simple report where you could get someone to write SQL, you know, just easily. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it, it's funny with things like that because you see companies try to ex almost extend to offer something like smart contracting or something, and then when you actually dig down to it, and it's like no, you're not actually offering that quite yet. Or if you do, like the implementation is sort of like this weird. It's either a very narrow use case or else it's like 
not quite what they're actually advertising. It is, and and it is. It's a. It's you know there are companies that that take that kind of innovation. And, and do magic with it and then mm-hmm. there's terrible things that get done so yeah. you know like yeah. everything so yeah. it's like i mean a lot of the conversations i've been having lately is um you know the metaverse quote unquote where um you know some companies like you know they're very like we're getting into the metaverse it's like no we're actually experimenting a little bit with ar but we're like we're not committing like the substantial resources to it so i mean it just it's interesting that cutting edge where it's not it is and there's, it's a it's a lot of fun and you know there's a there's an inherent I think, you know, drive by technologists to experiment with this stuff mm-hmm. doesn't always translate into actual useful sort of, um, yeah. it doesn't translate into useful uh, solutions. And this is where, again, as you, I think as you, as you get more mature in your career and you do take responsibility for large organizations, you know, I feel that tension because when I was younger in my career, yeah, I wanted to get hand on my hands on whether yeah. the latest software was an experiment because I thought it would do something and there was this friction with what you'd perceive as older senior management who didn't want that change. And mm-hmm. that tension still exists, and for good reason, because some of this doesn't actually yield yeah. good results. And um, you have to balance out all these other factors, too. I mean, like, the thing about technologists, I'm like, you know, you, you can focus everything on you can If you can persuade your boss to let you focus on it, you can, but you've got to juggle that's right. other things as well. Yes, so you got it that. is. Yeah. Yep, yep, you do. Um, what advice do you have for technologists who are just starting out, who are, I mean, because you've had, you've had this interesting and fascinating progression what would you say to them i mean people who are like you know eventually 10 15 20 years now want to become a cto yeah you want to yeah you want to become a cto um you know we spend time interestingly even in our organization um trying to mentor the management team and my leaders to to grow Mm -hmm. i mean everyone wants to grow in their career so um so i think there's a there's some it doesn't matter if you're a technologist or generally in business, there's, there's some commonalities here, I think. Um, you know, what's incredibly useful is find a mentor. Um, find someone that you can use as a sounding board that will help push you a little bit, um, but also can provide some um, honesty about the environment you're in. Because sometimes it's very hard to see when you're in the environment there. Yeah. A mentor will help you. Um, I think a mentor also helps with and you need someone that you can trust and will be honest with you they also will help with blind spots around your skill set um so you know i've spent my time talking to managers who are frustrated because they didn't get that director role Mm -hmm. or directors who are frustrated because they haven't become a vp um but they are they are blind to um some of the behaviors which are limiting them Mm -hmm. um a little bit and then you know and I'll, i'll run down this little list here i've got here um you know i think as you progress from being a technologist to becoming and wanting to become more perceived more as an executive or a leader in a company, there's some behaviors and skills which are you can work on and learn. Yeah. Um, and honestly, one of them is owning and solving issues, which sounds simple, mm-hmm. um, but it's difficult in the context of sitting in a meeting when someone says, hey, uh, could someone help me with this? And yeah. you're already busy yeah. to raise your hand and say, yeah, I'll have a go mm-hmm. fixing that. Or resisting the temptation which is um something that a lot of technologists have where someone asks for a solution to a problem you already know is going to be very difficult or next to impossible to deliver to just say no and the answer there is to to hold that thought internalize it um and say yes but actually come back with options around you know what they are I, i there's a i read i watched the thing on the bbc about um, 
one of the best hotels in the world and they have a butler for every suite in there. And they ask the butler, what's the essence of being a great butler? And the butler says, never say no to a, to a guest, yeah. right? Even if they ask for something and we don't have it, we say yes. And we come back and offer alternatives because it's a way better experience than, you know, and I think that's true in, in you know, as you strive to yeah. strive to become yeah. more useful in your organization. Yeah. Um, you have to understand how to drive change um, because part of uh, becoming really valuable in a, in a role is, isn't just staying with the status quo, mm -hmm. it's figuring out what needs improving and improving it, which means driving change. And that yeah. means dealing with people and asking for investment for tools and changing the way people work and managing expectations, all the things that come along with it. It's complicated and you, you've got to learn how to drive change. And then, um, and I spend time with my team on this is, uh, how do you communicate? Because there's a gap sometimes between what technologists believe they're explaining <laughs> and what people are hearing um, and honing your ability to communicate. And much as everyone will roll their eyes uh, at things like PowerPoint, PowerPoint isn't inherently bad if you are using it in a way that you can concisely communicate your ideas. And it's super important to nail that. Yeah. Um, the other thing that technologists sometimes fall over themselves on is uh, peer relationships. So, okay. you know, I've had conversations with directors who say, why didn't I get that VP role? I'm great. My, you know, my boss loves me. The other people love me. But what they fail to realize is that it isn't just about your boss your boss goes and asks, hey, I want to promote this individual. But both the peers at your level and the peers at your boss's level mm -hmm. weigh into that conversation. And the more senior you get, the harder that is. So even though you may have nothing to do with the finance department, understanding who your boss's peers are and building relationships with them is super important in a, in a business there. Um, and then as you are given more responsibility, uh, bring a fr bringing a framework and a perspective and executing against it becomes super important. Um, I'm sure that you've covered this kind of stuff. There's a million resources for technology frameworks and um, you should be bringing that that structure and discipline and saying, this is what I believe and this is what I'm going to make happen. Yeah. And you make it happen. Um, focus on a few impactful things, push on process and metrics. And then final one is um, get good at delivering difficult messages because it's not always sunshine and roses. And that's it for the episode, folks. One area that was really interesting to me during this discussion with Paul was to hear all the twists and turns of his career. He's really seen everything the tech industry has to offer, and his path is a great example of building a career step-by-step -step in an environment that experiences an incredible amount of change. Here are some big takeaways from this talk, which I'll summarize here. First, there's no one right path to a role in management. When you start out, you might not even be sure you want to be in management, much less in the CTO role. But no matter where you end up, always make sure you're looking at how technology can make a business better. That sort of strategic mindset is essential to pretty much any level of management. Number two, it's key to always maximize your learning, and that includes your soft skills such as empathy and communication, in addition to your technical knowledge. Even a CTO stays current with the latest and greatest technology, which allows you to determine what's possible on a strategic level. Three, there are different styles of leadership. If you figured out the leadership style that works for you and the people you lead, focus on finding a situation where that style is likely to work. For example, if you're a technologically inclined leader, you should aim for companies that are receptive to your approach and outlook. That seems to be a more effective recipe for success than trying to adjust your leadership style to fit a particular environment. And with all that, we'll see you next time. And remember, 
DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles. And for technologists, the best place to grow your tech career.